All right. So I firmly believe that God's got a sense of humor. And this morning's sermon may be one of those examples because my assignment today is to talk about love and compassion and being better together. Now, that's a tall order in and of itself, but especially when you know who I am, because I am neither very romantic nor am I very empathetic, and in a lot of these things, I'm rather pathetic. So I'm going to give you an example. Now, Betty knows that this is coming, so this isn't a shock. Um, Now, I had planned to ask Betty to marry me on a sunsplash fall day at Star Rock State Park. It was one of our favorite places to go. Unfortunately, it rained. Spoiled the whole thing. We had to stay home. Now, I did ask her anyway, and she did say yes. But being who I am, which is rather pragmatic, uh, I didn't purchase a ring ahead of time. I didn't know, you know, would she say no, and what then what I do with it, and how to get a ring size without anybody knowing, and, you know, all those things. So instead, after she agreed, after she said yes, uh, we went to one of the jewelry stores a few days later, a few weeks. I don't remember the timing on that. Uh, at Northwoods. I happened to be working in Northwoods Mall at that time in Radio Shack. So it was no big deal. She'd come in close to closing time. We walked down to the jewelry store. Uh, so we went in. She picked something out, paid for it, took it, walked out. We went out to the car, sat down, and I said, here you go. <laughs> Not very romantic. Now, in her memory, she threw it back at me. <laughs> In her, in my memory, she handed it back, um, and then she told me how to do it right. So, like I said, it's going to be a tall order this morning to know how to do it. Okay, so good thing you don't have to rely on me. We can rely on God's word, and we can cover this with what he has to say about it. Now, we're in a Better Together uh, series. The first one on that was kind of the introduction, and then the, uh, two weeks ago, Matthew did one on unity and how unity sees, hears, and prepares, and what that all means, and the diversity. I like to say the harmony within unity. Uh, Last week, talked about hospitality, which actually was a little bit of an eye-opener, because I always thought of hospitality as somebody opening their house. But it was more than that, and I really appreciated that insight. Um, And it led to, or concluded, with this idea of getting to a point where we have a culture of invitation, So this morning, like I said, we're going to talk love and compassion. Um, And our main question, what I'm going to ask several times over as we get going, is what does love look like in the context of the church? And more specifically, or more pointedly, what does love look like in the context of Vineyard Church Peoria? All right, so that's where we're going. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these folks here and online and later. Uh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come would illuminate your word, that we would see new things and hear your voice in them. And Lord, that you would also show us how to put things into practice. And Father, I just pray pray a blessing on this service, on your word, and on this time together. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So just to kind of set this up a little bit, at the start of each school year, I go through my class rules. Now, if you don't know, I'm a full-time IT director at a small rural school, uh, 650-some-odd kids, uh, pre-K to 12. Um, But I also teach a couple high school classes. So I do have some, I do do some classroom stuff. And so every year, first thing of the year, first day, we go through the class rules. Um, And these rules for me, because I wrote them, these are my rules, um, are intentionally stated as positive. They're B statements. And 
they're going to be up here. And so basically it's be on time. I got a few that are still struggling with that. Uh, be respectful. Use tech as directed. Be bold. And in being bold, ask questions and try things. Be responsible. Be ready. So they're all kind of positive be things instead of don't chew gum, don't do this, don't do that. Okay, that's kind of where that comes from. So this morning, I've got four B identifiers for love that we're going to go through. Okay, so I'll tell you where we're going. Be genuine, be tolerant, be persistent, be compassionate. All right, so be genuine, the first one. Um, A week or so ago, I ordered some toner for my office color printer. It was the toner I had in it was knockoff toner. It was a company I kind of trusted, but it's starting to kick out a lot more black and things are looking a lot more gray than they're supposed to. So I ordered some replacements from Amazon that, I, that were supposed to be HP, or at least I thought they were HP. But when the cartridges showed up, they were just plain old knockoff cartridges that I could have got for even less money. So I rushed back to the Amazon page and to see what happened. And yeah, now that I looked really closely... I could tell it wasn't HP. They had taken all of HP's coloring and fonts, even the box art, and used it, but also kind of changed it enough so that it didn't say HP anywhere. So it was, it was not genuine. <laughs> it was just way off. And so that's what ungenuine looks like, if you want to call it that. Um, but we're to be genuine. So let's start off with Romans 12.9. I'm going to have several scriptures popping up here and there. Um, I will say in advance that there are going to be, most of them are New Living Translation, NLT. I do have some that are New American Standard. When I study, I use the NASB because it's more word for word and a little bit more precise. I love the NLT too. I'm also trying out some other versions. I'm always floating around on that stuff. But anyway, Romans 12:9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly what is good. And then Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.22, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Now, genuine love for one another is also sincere. Now, that word sincere is a really interesting English word because um, it derives... Um, I'm actually borrowing this from the pastor who did my niece's wedding because he did a really long thing, and I'm going to shorten it up quite a bit. The English word derives from a Latin word, sincere or something along that line. Yes, am I right? Am I close? No? Okay, good. And according to what I heard, and we'll see if I'm right, it means without wax or something like that. Now, I'm watching Tammy's face to see if the other guy was right. So I don't know. But anyway, I was told it means without wax, so we'll go with that. Which sounds really strange. What does that mean? Does that mean the candle ran out or what happened? What it, what it really means is if you've got to think sculptures and marble and they're chipping away at it and then they get a little bit excited and chip off somebody's finger. Not a good day. You're almost done and all of a sudden the finger's off. So they take a little wax and they go like that and stick it up there and attach it. Basically in our day they super glue it. So maybe we should say without super glue. Um, so they, a marble statue without wax is called sincere, meaning it's, with, it's, it's perfect. It's built the way it's supposed to be. There's no fakery involved in it. 
Now, to step it back from the Latin back to the Greek, and I won't do this for everything, but this was interesting too, because the Greek word in the Bible comes from without play acting is really how we would interpret that, which basically means without hypocrisy. Um, And that goes back to the Greek stage. Actors literally had a mask, so they were called two-faced because they had the mask on, they had the real face, they had their mask on. Anyway, genuine love is love without hypocrisy. What you see is what you get. All right, today's kind of story day. I got a lot of little stories. So this is one just to show you what hypocrisy looks like in a very real way. So I was, when I worked at R.K. Dixon, uh, which was network engineering and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I had a conference call. It was me and a sales guy in a room, and we were calling a customer. I forget where it was at, but it wasn't there. It was a ways. And this was on phone. This was predating Zoom, so nobody could see each other. Okay, all we had to go on was the voice. And as the call went on, the salesperson got more and more and more agitated, even gesturing to the person through the phone, if you understand what I'm trying to say, which is not the good gesture, but the bad gesture. But his voice, I was amazed at this at the time, his voice didn't match his emotion. You couldn't tell that he was upset. It sounded normal and caring and calm. And he's on, the, he's on my side going like this, and I'm going, how does he do that? Because I can't do that. But anyway, genuine love isn't what we portray to others. It's not what we play act towards others. It's not the mask we put on. It's really displayed in what we say and do behind their backs. If you really want to know if you're genuine, Don't look at how you're treating somebody. Look at how you're treating them when they're not around. What are you saying? What are you thinking? So what does love look like in the context of the church? What does this part of love look like in the context of the church? It's genuine, meaning it's real. It's sincere. There's not any fakery. There's no pretense. There's no no hypocrisy. There's no play acting. To be honest, that's what it means when the world will know that we are Christ's disciples by our love for one another. And to be honest, the world loves for that kind of authentic, real, sincere, genuine love. They just don't know it yet. And if they see it, if they see it really, I think their eyes would be open to something. Be tolerant, second one. Now, tolerance gets a bad rap in a lot of Christian circles. But tolerance is very context-oriented. Um, It means one thing to an engineer, it means another thing to somebody in the medical field, and it means another thing in social circles. To an engineer, it means something along the lines of an allowable deviation in the manufacturing or the part size or something along that lines, or how something fits together. Um, That's what a tolerance is, you know, how, how close do we have to cut this thing? For somebody in the medical world, it looks to more like, well, how well or poorly does someone tolerate the procedure or the medicine that they're going through? How well do they handle it? And they'll also call that, they'll use that word, tolerate. How well do you tolerate this? Um, In social circles, it identifies the willingness to tolerate or to put up or to hear and, and not shut down opinions and behaviors that someone else, that we may not agree with or that we may not agree with somebody else. So what's the Bible say about it? So we're going to go to Ephesians 4.2. 
We're actually going to look at the same thing in two different transla- um, two different one NLT and the other one New American. So in the New um, New Living, it says this: Always be humble and gentle, be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. By the way, that's Ephesians four two. If I forgot to tell you. Now, tolerance is in that verse. We can hear it. We can almost hear the engineering side of it where it says, making allowance for one another's faults. That's a good one. The New American Standard puts it very directly, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being tolerant is bearing one another's differences or their faults and recognizing the degree of differences in ourselves that we'll accept. What is our tolerance? So here we must be really gut honest. And um, kind of hard to say. We all sin. That was hard. It's hard to hear sometimes that we all sin. We all need tolerance from one another. Now that sin expresses itself in a lot of ways, ranging from socially acceptable to consider things that are considered taboo. But what's God's view? What's God's word say about it? So for this, we're going to go to James, James 2, 8 to 10. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law has found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show favor, if you favor some people, over others, you're committing a sin. Now pause at the moment right there. Specifically what James was talking about with the sin of partiality. And in context with what he was saying, it was they would treat one person well because they appeared to be of good social standing and were rich or maybe looked good. And the other person that appeared poor or maybe who knows whatever else, they would treat poorly. And James is saying that's wrong. Treat with impartiality, but... So, you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For a person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. We don't like to hear that because it upsets our natural order. We want to think that we're okay and the other person's got a problem. But the fact is we all have it. We all have things. So what do we do with the sin that we see in somebody else? Because we do see it. Let's be honest. Even Jesus recognized if we see sin, what are you supposed to do with it? I'll give you some just general guidelines and stuff like that. Speak the truth of the Bible. We never give up on what the Bible says. But we don't judge or wag a finger. But let the Holy Spirit work, speak through the Bible to them. I like to put it this way. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit with where they're at right now. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit for their life and where he's taking them. And I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to work on what he needs to work on. And I can trust in that. Because I know it'll work. Their story, a lot of times we approach people and think, this is their story. This is it. They don't, that's it. But their story goes on and it isn't finished yet. And sometimes we have to let, give God a chance to let him finish their story. Pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal sin to them. We all need that. But also pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal our sin to ourselves. We need that too. Let love cover the sin 
and I'll speak to a verse about that in a second. Let love cover the sin and trust the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Eventually, one of three things is going to happen as I boiled it down. One is they'll repent. Things will change. The other is they may reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, possibly leave. Who knows what's going to happen with that? The third thing is, is our attitudes about the sin we see may be refined by the Holy Spirit. I know that he's done that to me. Um, in my earlier days, when I was youth, I was much more, this is evil, this is bad, this is very, very, segre- you know, things were very separated, okay? Um, I'm not going to go through the stories, but over time, I've learned, hey, you know what? That's my conviction. That may not be his con- their conviction. And so there's a just working these things out. Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, instead of pointing out somebody's sin and going, see, I'm covering your sin, I'm, I am grateful that you guys cover my sin, um, whether you know it or not, okay? And, but that's the way love works in the church. That's the way tolerant love works in the church. Now, there is another side of this. I'm going to mention it for completeness. There are times when love and the Holy Spirit compels us to say something, to confront the sin in another. Um, Jesus gave us a how-to. In Matthew 18, and when I say Matthew 18, I, while the, the part we're going to pull out is verses 15 to 18, not going to read them today, I'm just going to tell you what's in it. I believe you have to put those all into the context of Matthew 18 and not just the little bit. The little bit, Jesus said, hey, if you see someone in sin, go talk to them one-on-one. If they refuse you, go take a friend with you and talk to them again. If they refuse you again, take it to the church. The problem is people have taken that out and gotten even some of my uh, spiritual heritage relatives um, have taken that to the point of total separation. And that's not what Jesus intended. Because if you look at the whole context, the, the verses leading up to it talk about receiving the kingdom of God as a child, coming with humility. The next part talks about going out and finding the lost lamb, the one out of the 99 that isn't where they're supposed to be. And then the verses following it talk dramatically and coolly and parable and everything else about forgiveness and how powerful forgiveness is. So yes, there is space to do that, but we have to build it all in this other context. So the goal isn't separation, but reconciliation, restoration. It's my contention, and what I would advise is we need to walk in tolerance through love first. And then pray, pray again, and pray some more before we take even the first step of, of talking with somebody, of confrontation. And then when we do that, only in the, in the space of love and humility, being willing to be wrong ourselves or being willing to also see where our sin is at. That's the humility part. So what does tolerant love look like in the church? What does tolerant love look like in your church? Peoria, accepting and welcoming one another while trusting the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Praying for others and doing the same for yourself. And hopefully everybody's praying for each other. And in that way, 
we've got some room. We can hear what the Holy Spirit's saying. Be persistent. Now, a few moments ago, that love, we read a verse about love, and it said to be fervent. Now, there's a lot of meaning in that word. There's a sense of eagerness and passion along with some diligence and persistence. And again from Peter, 1 Peter 1.22, he wrote this, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Meaning it's not just something we do, it's something we really get into. Love in the body of Christ isn't a checkbox of our to-dos. Let's see, um, let's see, I smile at someone that doesn't really, I don't really like. Check that one. Okay. I hug the lady with the overpowering perfume that I can't stand. Got that. I shook the hands with the guy that I disagreed with really badly on doctrinal stuff. Check. Okay, I think I'm done loving for the day. I can sit down. Everything's cool. No, it's not the way it works. I can't tell you how often I've seen this kind of play acting, lukewarm love in a church setting. And for me anyway, it's super nauseating. To your credit, to Vineyard Church Peoria's credit, rarely, rarely, rarely see it here. That's good. So we need to keep at it. Now, it's easy to think, though, that we have this nailed down. But God has a way of saying, uh, not so fast, until we encounter that someone that is difficult to love. And then all of a sudden, what we think we have nailed down, being persistent and all the other things, it doesn't happen quite the way we thought. And it's here that we've got to separate a little bit likability from love. Because, to be honest, if we're a growing church, impacting our world, then there are going to be people here that you don't like. Okay? Or yet. Maybe he's putting yet on the end. But that shouldn't stop our love for one another. As we love, we may find out that they are likable. We just hadn't found it yet. But this takes persistence. It takes being having a fervent love and eagerness and a passionate application of what? Love over time. We don't give up. We keep at it. To be honest, some of you are easier to love than others. So we all got to work on it, right? What does... <laughs> I could tell you stories about... No. <laughs> so what does persistent love look like in the context of the church? We don't give up on anyone. We forgive and we forgive some more. We continue to pray and trust the Holy Spirit. And we are eagerly, we eagerly want to lavishly love all of our one another's. Not as easy as it sounds, but yet that's what the cool part is. Because we all have a connection. We can be as different as different can be. Our experiences, our life experiences, our heritage, our background, you name it, can be as different has, well, as different as Matthew and Simon the Zealot. And if you don't know their story, look it up sometime. They were disciples of Christ. Why Jesus bring in these two folks, I never could understand, except for their really good explanation of loving one another. 
okay? Because they were completely different. And yet they had one thing in common. Jesus, that was their commonality. As long as you got that, it works. Love works. All right, be compassionate. Now, so far, much of what we've covered, be genuine, be tolerant, be persistent, are really about our attitudes. How are we feeling? How do, what is our intent? How, we, how are we positioning ourselves? And the fourth and the final B, be compassionate, is in our list is more action-oriented. It's doing. Be compassionate. Now, Paul wrote this. Uh, this is in Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Uh, this one's going to be out of the New American Standard um, because the words are a little bit more pointed. Um, this is one of my favorite places in, in, in the New Testament outside of the Gospels because it talks about putting things on and taking things off, but we're only going to read a bit of it. So beginning up in verse 12. So has those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. If we want all these things, the pathway is love. Being compassionate and kind and humility and gentleness. Bearing with one another. Here, tolerance again in there. Um, and forgiveness. Compassion's kind of double-edged, though. There's two sides to it. On the one side, there is a strong emotional component. Okay, it is emotional. Um, it's kind of a mix, in a varying mix, a conglomeration, an amalgam of empathy, sympathy, and concern. We feel compassion. The old word actually was like a kick in the gut. Okay, that's that's what compassion feels like. Now, that compassion may be felt empathetically as we understand and share the feelings of another. I am not super empathetic. That's not who I am. But I will tell you, um, I went to a visitation a couple, uh, like a week and a half ago, two weeks. Uh, One of my students had lost their mother. Um, And I could feel that because I've lost my mom. Now, granted, it was later in life, but there was still an empathetic connection. And the, his grandparents were there, the, the mother's parents were there, and I could feel empathy for them. And I told them, I feel for you guys, because I know what it's like to have to tell a parent that their child had died, because I went to my grandparents, my mom's side, and told them what was going on. Now, it was expected on my mom's thing, but... Um, but there was an empathetic connection there because I could, I had felt something like that. So I kind of could make that connection. Okay. Whether some people are just naturally more empathetic, some people are more like me. Um, but we could feel it that way. It could be sympathetic where we feel sorrow and pity at the circumstances or another of another. There's, that's not a wrong thing to feel. Um, we may feel, we may hear a story and feel sympathy for what somebody is going through. Or we could feel concern. Maybe we see a little further down the line and we're concerned about where this road may take someone. Okay, That is also a feeling of compassion. Now, what we feel, what you all feel, will vary greatly depending on 
who it is that we're talking about. How close are you, is your connection to that person? All right? That's going to affect how deep those feelings are. Um, is it how close is our physical and virtual proximity literally to that person, whether we have a relationship connection or not? And then also, how are we emotionally wired ourselves? Okay? Some of you are more emotionally wired and empathetically wired. I'm still of my German Stoic heritage, okay? It's buried in there somewhere, but it's, but it's deeper, okay? All those things will affect how we each feel this. And so I'm not taking anything away from anybody on where they're at on this. Just realize that compassion does have a feeling component to it. But the other edge of it is not only feeling it, but doing something. Love in action. We just don't feel compassion. We act with compassion. Now, if you read the gospel accounts, uh, advise everybody to do it as many times as they can. Um, acting with compassion, being moved with compassion, is something Jesus did all the time. And I'm just going to read you one example. Um, it's out of Luke 7, uh, starting with verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. And a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. Imagine you got this one crowd coming in and this other crowd coming out, and Jesus is in the middle. The young man who had died was the widow's only son. And in a cultural context, that was very bad because she had no one else to rely on. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Not only did Jesus feel compassion, because the, the scripture, the verses tell us he felt compassion. He did something about it. He acted. And that's our point. What does compassion look like in the church? Simply that we individually, all of us together, individually feel compassion as we encounter the world and each other. And we act on that compassion in some way. Now, that's going to be different. You all are going to be different on all this. And that's perfectly cool and great. But there's another piece to this because not only is there individual parts of compassion, but there's also, I like to think, a corporate compassion that we leap into in unity has the Vineyard Church in Peoria. But what is that corporate compassion? Is it spiritual? Is it social? Is it needs-based, eternity-based? Is it meeting tangible needs in some way? Is it setting captives free, captive here being those trapped in addictions or habit patterns or unhealed heart wounds? Or is it something else? Now, the answer to the question of our corporate compassion is not found in our inventory of abilities. Those may be clues along the way, but it's not just that. It's not just, well, what are we capable of doing? Because that's, we're missing half the equation. Because we need first to see, because it said Jesus saw if, in the verse we just read, and then he was moved with compassion, he felt, and then he acted. 
So the question for us, what do we as a Vineyard Church Peoria see corporately, together? What is moving us with compassion? Now, to be honest, I can't answer that question. But we need to answer that question together. So let me kind of wrap all this together a little bit before the worship team comes up and we move into that time. Love one another. Be genuine. Be sincere. Be tolerant and forbearing. Be persistent. Be eager. Be compassionate. But how do we grow in this? How do we do even better? I can tell you one way that it doesn't grow. So I got a story. So one day this old farmer and his wife were sitting at the dinner table. And the old farmer could tell that something was bugging his wife. What's wrong, Helen? You look a little down tonight. The farmer's wife looked at him, deciding whether to spill the beans or not. With a sigh, she said, I don't think you love me anymore. Why, Helen, the old farmer began, don't you remember our wedding day? Nothing has changed since then. Remember, I told you back then that I loved you. And that if anything ever changed, I'd let you know. (laughs) Love must be continually expressed and exercised. It's not a one-time thing. Especially God's kind of love. Because God's kind of love, agape love, if you're familiar with the term, is diametrically opposed to our default wiring to put ourselves first. Jesus said this, John 15, 12 to 13. You guys will probably know this one. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love always requires a cost, a laying down of something on our side of the equation. That something could be our time, could be our comfort, could be resources. It could be listening instead of speaking. It could be an emotional investment or a willingness to forego our own will. I don't know what that is, and each situation is going to be a little bit different. But there's one more little piece to add to this, and it was in one of our verses where it said, you are chosen and beloved. Love must also be experienced. For in receiving love, we are able to love others. It is in knowing and experiencing and receiving the love of Christ that we are able to love sincerely, love with tolerance, love with persistence, and love with compassion. We can love others because we are loved. Want to do better at, getting, at loving others? Dive deeply into Christ's love. That's how you get there. The more you fall in love with Jesus the more you have love capacity you have for others. Now, as the worship team comes up, I'm going to offer a prayer. It's actually directly out of Ephesians. It's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. So would you pray with me? I pray that God may grant you, according to the rich of his, his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted 
and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, the height and the depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Mm -hmm.